All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back and good evening. This is our welcome to the fifth episode of the Variety is the Spice Supplies podcast. Um, thank you for joining us again, if indeed you are. Um, Ooh, I'm regular programming. <laughs> I am joined as always by my co-host Vin. Howdy, howdy. And my name is Daniel. And I can't believe we're doing this for five months. <laughs> it's so good. This is the most regular I've been with anything, including my bells. Uh, I think that might be a little bit too much information there, Vin. <laughs> it's all right. They don't know when we're recording these episodes. <laughs> I'm not sure that helps. <laughs> uh, well, what do you got for us today, Dan? Well, to start off with, we're going to talk about sort of introducing topics to people. Uh, and then we're going to move on to looking at sequence breaks in video games before returning to counterintelligence, our regular faithful segment the only thing that's consistent across these shows excellent excellent. except when we changed its name (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah name five things that aren't 10 things that aren't jackie chan oh but so we're going to talk about starting people off on things first Hmm. so vin would you include this podcast in a podcast starter pack for people oh look i think it's a (laughs) steady introduction uh, share this with all of your friends. Uh, I think it's like a relative <laughs> way to get people into the zone of podcasting. Uh, because like at the end of the day, most podcasts boil down to uh, mainly personalities discussing a thing. Uh, it doesn't really have to be a, rel- a relevant area of interest in your life. Uh, but really, it's more sort of set dressing for, you know, the, the commute to work or the gym or whatever have you. Uh, but Really, what I want to talk about today is not just introducing people to things, but mainly the concept of acquired tastes right? and how you start off people on you know, consuming the, the piece of media or, or you know, food that you like, right? but you understand isn't exactly for everyone. Right? Have you had any troubles with this, Dan? I'm, I'm often on the receiving end of this one. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I do recall having made you <laughs> try a few things in my time. Uh, the key ones that, or the main ones that spring to mind for me are coffee, because no nobody believes that I don't drink coffee. They're mm. like, what? Are you insane? Yeah, right. How can you uh, be a, a man in your 20s and then not have a dependency on some substance of some kind? <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Uh, and the other one being wine in particular, given where I'm from, it's almost unheard of to not enjoy wine and be back, be from where I am. So yeah, hang about Dan, many... we're getting awful close to getting you doxxed. I've also said your demographic. Now we're saying roughly you're from somewhere with wine. <laughs> uh, but it's fine. In any case. Uh, so I've had mainly struggles uh, with, uh, being uh, in amongst the community like that generally prefers wine or gin as their beverage of choice. Uh, almost no one I know uh, has beer as their you know favorite beverage. Uh, but I gotta say, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like Dan, you know you know how I'm like, you know I don't like any sort of sweet things or fruity things. Like generally speaking, I lean towards better tasting stuff. So the beer is sort of like the go. It's right up your alley. Yeah. But having having had some experiences where 
you just find it very difficult to convince a whole lot of people to go for a craft brewery tour rather than a wine tour or like literally an anything else tour because people <laughs> idea of drinking beer i mean food tour i'm in so yeah in. right yeah right like we, we'll we do chocolate ice cream tours that's all great but as soon as someone says beer tours like nah i'm busy in the sunday afternoon i can't do it man. yeah actually i did an ice cream tour once it was real good you did you did. We, we hit up like four ice cream places in the span of two hours it was a good day yeah and like the weird thing is with ice cream tours uh, I would have thought that most ice cream places like have a nice ice cream that you could just try all of the ice cream and then be full. Yeah, we did. We got like little trials at each and then we got like mini scoops at each, except at one place where they did those scroll ice creams. Oh, yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. Seen that was those. cool. I had never seen them before. This was a few years ago and that was the first time I saw them and Sadly, that place is gone now, but... Sure. I mean, like, assume assume that you had to introduce ice cream to someone that, like, didn't like any sort of, like, dairy stuff originally. Like, not really a milk lover, not a cheese lover, none of that. Right? Not a sweet lover. How do you introduce them to the world of ice cream if they've not been in it? Oh, tricky, because the first question that springs to mind is, what's wrong with you? Um <laughs> Like ice cream is amazing. It's fairly universal. Um, but I'm probably going to go for a more mild flavor in the in the range of the things they like. So if they tend to prefer vanilla, which is often malaligned as the boring flavor, but I quite mm. like vanilla. Mm. I'll get a, a nice vanilla, but if they're a chocolate person, chocolate. Or you can make all sorts of weird and wonderful ice cream these days, so... I have to take turn my hand at trying to make an ice cream to introduce them to ice cream. Mm-hmm. I've got the machine to do that. So okay, right. All right, and in terms of like, I guess convincing someone right to try the sort of more weirder flavors of ice cream that you're into, like, like how do you get people, you know, eating green tea ice cream, for example? Green tea ice cream is quite nice. Um, uh, I don't know. You kind of have to pair it with the right thing to get them to get them in almost. Hmm. Cause like I would say that like as an ice cream, green tea ice cream has like some characteristics that like one would not expect in ice cream, mainly because like it's nowhere near as sweet. It's got those sort of like more bitter notes to it. Right. And it's hmm. anywhere similar to, you know, what people might have experienced, like in the way of say, you know, paddle pop or whatever it is. Oh, paddle pop. I haven't had a paddle pop in forever. Yeah. Right? So like you start them on paddle pop uh, and then you go to like regular streets, Neapolitan stuff. Right. Then you go to like the <laughs> stuff. And then only when they're like very familiar right, with the concept of ice cream, do you then go on to green tea. Right. Mm. So in the same way for things that are like, have uh, more of a harsh or more divisive taste than like beer, Right. Yeah, what's your beer tactic then? Well, my beer tactic, right, is like there are beers that I don't drink, mainly because like I don't really see any value to them at all, mainly because there's like relatively less of the bitterness, less of like less overall tastes of any kind, right? It's not like interesting like soy taste flourishes in some stouts, right? There's not like any sort of like weird fruity or sour taste for some like uh, Zaison ales, right? 
you start them off with just lager, right? And I will bad lager to literally everyone I know, right? But as a beer that tastes like essentially nothing, right? It's not a bad way to introduce someone to beer, right? Because you can get some lagers that are like clean, crisp, not bitter at all, right? And when they've they've got that sort of like, uh, they're cold and they're fizzy, they're like, you know, a soft drink, right? But without the nice things of soft drink there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the flavor and the nice taste. Yeah. Yeah, but it does have like A, the refreshing aspect of it, right? And B, right, well, the alcohol, right, which can enhance a good social experience already, right? So then you trick them into associating the good social experience with the mild taste of beer out of a lager that they can tolerate. And then the more that you do that, right, you can then sort of trick them into thinking that they like beer because they sub- have subconsciously linked that to the the good experience that they've had with you. This is, this is sounding like Stockholm syndrome, but for beer. It's almost as if this is something that I've talked about as my personality for the last four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Learning a lot about you through this thing. I'm not sure about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's it, right? Like if they taste... At, at a bare minimum is fully subjective. So if you associate tastes with good experiences, then you start to like those tastes, no, no matter what context you're in, right? In the same way that if you eat a taste that you generally don't like, but you're at like a nice restaurant or like at a, in like when you're on holiday or whatever, you're more likely to accept that as a good flavor rather than all of the negative stuff that you previously attributed to it. This is true. I always, when I'm away on break or on holiday or whatever, mm. I always try to eat things that I haven't tried in a long time or just haven't yeah. tried at all. Yeah. And so, Dan, how do you introduce, you know, the concept of like video games to someone? Like, because you wouldn't really start someone on like Dark Souls, right? If they've not really done much gaming before. Get, get good. Get good. Just start with Dark Souls. <laughs> get, get That's how it works, life. right? <laughs> yeah, sure. like, what's your introductory game uh, if someone else oh, I haven't had anyone interested in trying for a while hmm. um, or like say you've got some like friends over who usually like you know, play board games or do like other social stuff uh, and you want to like introduce them to you know cooperative games in, in your house cooperative games because I immediately I went Mario Party but it's like no, that's not cooperative <laughs> I mean, we talked about Mario Party briefly in episode one. Like, Mario Party is not the way you treat your friends. <laughs> it is if you're Mario. <laughs> what, you don't have a uh, just a, a spare volcano in your backyard ready to throw your friends in? Oh, yeah, at any time. Before they get right. some more stars? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, your validation is only worth the skill that you have at very various minigames that we have. <laughs> That's that's my tears of friendship. I give them literal gold stars when they leave my apartment. Why haven't I gotten any gold stars, Vin? Get good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in terms of cooperative, probably these days I would say one of the more recent Mario games. So either... Uh, not many people have got their Wii U lying around. The Wii U port, the Switch. 
Oh yeah. Of New Super Mario Brothers U. Yeah. Or maybe even New uh what was it? Mario 3D World. I think that was the Wii U one that also got ported. Yeah, okay. Right. So a little bit late, and if they die, it's no big deal. And they can see pretty much everything that's going on. And while you play, right, you get to like essentially be forward and like show them what to do and why it is fun before they do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's the, always the bubble help. Yeah. Yeah. And heck, speaking of the Mario games, like they are well, well known for doing things uh, out of sequence, right? And in many speedrunning circles, they're like doing the sort of pipe warps and whatnot. Uh, which segues very cleanly and roughly <laughs> into what we want to talk about next. It would have been great, but you drew attention to it, Ben. <laughs> you got to do it to him. Uh, so, Dan, tell, tell us, like, why have you brought sort of sequence breaks to the podcast today? I also, at time of recording, uh, the new Metroid has just come out, Metroid Dread, which I've been playing this weekend. Um, and to be honest, I haven't been a Metroid fan for a huge amount of time. My first proper one was the 3DS one. Mm. Um, but I've really enjoyed that and I've been well in on this one. And I have played so much of it this weekend. I've actually nearly finished Dread. Um, oh, wow. But Metroids of old are quite well known for their sequence breaks, particularly Super Metroid, mm. um, where you can zoom all over that map and gets power bombs early and super missiles early and completely break the intended route of that game sure um, okay so then what's the enjoyment of like breaking the sequence or what is it commonly used for um so i guess in metroid there's various levels of like air quotes intended breaking because it's okay. simply things like taking damage where you to get an item before you have the item that would protect you from that damage hmm. um, and then there's just completely breaking it which are tricks that often will get then turned into speed running tactics um, which is probably the main thing that eventually sequence breaks get used for yeah look um, i mean one of the major things or one of the only things that i know about the metroid series uh, is that it is very common to have a call to either kill or save the animals when it comes <laughs> metroid run I, I haven't figured out exactly what that means yet, right? but I assume this is something to do with it. Yeah, uh, it's not sequence break, but it is. Uh, so I don't know the full of it, or I can't remember the full of it is probably a better way to put it. Hmm. Um, at the end of Super Metroid, spoilers for Super Metroid. Oh, uh, um, yeah, sorry. Like, if anyone hasn't caught up on this 20 to 25-year-old game, do something <laughs> now before you watch the rest of the episode. <laughs> Uh, um, there's an escape sequence because you're going to blow up the planet um, in order to I've forgotten the plot now the plot reason for that whether that's to kill all the Metroids or some other reason sure. but essentially the planet's going to blow up and so you can either save the animals that teach you tricks throughout the game so mm. um, there's animals that teach you how to wall jump and shine spark uh which are in that game but the tutorial is literally an animal runs along the ground and does the thing and you have to work it out by watching them all right okay 
Um, or you can just ignore them and kill the animals. Um, Cruel. <laughs> Needlessly and, violence. And clearly killing the animals is the faster tactic. Um, mm. So if you're doing a true speed run, you would kill the animals, but there's probably a save the animals percent category. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. So then how do sequence breaks appeal to you, Dan? Um, I enjoy them for a couple of reasons. So there's one, the challenge of actually pulling off the sequence breaks because they're often not, well, they aren't what was intended, so they're not the easiest mm. thing to be doing. Um, which Can leads you give me an example of what you needed to do? Uh, so I, an example for one of the ones in Super Metroid that I know of is very early on, you can see an energy tank um, that you can reveal that's at the top of the room, hidden in a ceiling block. Um, but your jump isn't high enough to reach it until you get the high jump boots later in the game. Um, and an energy tank is an extra 100 health for Samus. Oh, wow. Um, and so you can damage boost off one of the enemies in that room and use the the momentum that you gain from being damaged to boost yourself up into that item to pick it up early. Okay. As early as the starting like five minutes of that game. Oh, okay. So does yep. it make like the rest of the game easier or does it make it like faster in some way? Uh, that one makes the rest of the game easier because you have more health um, than you would otherwise have for quite a while. Mm. Um, and then it's also just a different way to play those games. So particularly in Super Metroid, if you get things out of order, the routes change and like people have found ways to do the bosses in reverse order All right. compared to what was originally intended. Okay. And in terms of like when you when you're when you're playing a game, right? And you discover, you know, there's this power that's out of reach that's clearly intended for like you need to do other stuff before you get here. All right. How long do you spend attempting to try and get this thing? <laughs> like the, the crappy movement tools that you have already? Um, it depends how invested I am. <laughs> so I'll like I'll start and I'll go for like a minute or so. And then if I'm like sometimes it'd be like eh, and leave it other times it'd be like i've been this close i will keep going so i guess it depends on how close i feel like i'm i am to getting it hmm. with the tools that i already have so then like this drive that you have for sequence breaking in games uh, do you ever apply it to like let's say the kitchen like will you ever have a recipe that you sequence break <laughs> finish faster <laughs> um not the first time I'm cooking it, where I will sometimes still do that in games. Yeah, yeah. Usually <laughs> not intentionally, but it happens. Um, yeah, okay. But right. as I get more experience with it, I will definitely start moving stuff around to make it more efficient. Mm. Speed run my cooking. Yeah, right. Because like I remember, like even like a few years ago, uh, when I was like just out of home trying to like cook for myself, it's like okay, cool. I got to follow the recipe, right? So right, cool. Cut things wait a bit, cook the things, and then like warm up the oven and put it all in, right? But as I've grown up more and more, I just like, no, I'm a busy man. I've finished work, I've gotten home and I need to like cook and eat within like the next half hour, right? So I can spend the rest. And so you pull out a freezer meal. 
<laughs> Secrets break the freeze of you. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, essentially, because the recipe is long gone, right? And I've been cooking like this particular beer for such a long time. Uh, you sort of just work in your own strategies, right? Where you're just like, no, I need to do this second part first. Uh, because otherwise, like, I the thing that I will be focusing on first, uh, that takes the same amount of time that I can do while I'm preparing this other stuff, right? <laughs> uh, and so you work out that like, you know, yes, you need to like chop the ingredients for your stir fry and then do the sauce. Right? But if you sort of prepare the sauce first, right, you got your second hub with the sauce sort of melting and boiling and, and like infusing your flavors. Uh, if you start that first, right, then have your walk on, right, and you've, you've got your ingredients on the side, you can like chop your onions, right, chuck them into your hot, hot pot, stir your sauce, go back to your carrots, grab that, put it in, right, and then essentially run all three of these in parallel rather than doing like the setup, do all your little tiny bowl stuff, right, for your stir fry or your, your clock mechanism or whatever. Or your, or your mise en place. Exactly. That's right. not how you pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> it is on this show. All right. Like when you break like the cooking experience, like you almost like feel like a, a sort of secret genius that you've like cracked or found your way right around the recipe to find a better way of doing it. Even though objectively you make a mess of like everything. Right? And if you're <laughs> on point right at those particular time breaks, Right, then it all falls you apart. Earn something, right? Forget about doing something or like add the wrong amount at the wrong time, right? So, I guess in a, in a similar way, like sequence breaks have a tendency to soft lock you in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of them really do. Yeah, oh. so so long as you don't like soft lock your cook in real life, I think it's good. <laughs> Soft-lock the game, you soft-lock in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Can't leave your house anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, sure, like, sequence broken, like, your schedule in a day, right? Where, like, ordinarily you're supposed to do task A, then task B, you're supposed to meet someone at some time. And it's like, no, I can't, I can't do all of that in a row. That's too slow, right? Instead, I will combine all of these at once where... You know, I will spring clean my house while having someone over, right, for to entertain. Because, like, if I do... And get them to help. Yeah, exactly, right? It's more efficient. Like, it's good timing. It's everything. Um, yeah. Any any games in particular, particular that you are fond of sequence breaking? Or how do you view sequence breaking in games, Finn? Um, I'm, I think I'm a little bit more stubborn uh than you in terms of like if i see you know the shiny treasure chest up there right and my double jump like reaches like just shy of it right i will like spend the next 10 20 minutes trying to find what i can to like rig the game so i can reach that ledge to get that chest (laughs) i will be pulling like enemies like from like screens across uh to that area uh pulling like random items like putting muffins on the floor trying to stand on the muffin Right, get like a little bit of extra height right to reach the chest. I kind of want to know what game you're talking about now. <laughs> well, in Hitman, right, you can stand on because of the physics energy, you can stand on muffins. Right, and then if you do it right, because like it's a shooter, 
right? The angle with the sniper rifle to aim above an obstacle to shoot your target, you might need just like that little extra bit of height to reach them for the headshot, right? So I've seen it where like you can stand box on top of a single muffin, right? To get the angle right to shoot your target earlier. How does the muffin not get crushed? Yeah, the physics, physics. man, it's weird. <laughs> oh, I should play Hitman. This, yeah. this seems ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's a good game. Uh, but yeah, in terms of these sorts of games, like I like if you, if they've got a treasure chest there and there's no overt sign that like this is something that you're supposed to reach later when you get another power up. If there's none of that signage around, I will always assume that like this is a direct challenge to me as a gamer <laughs> to try my <laughs> way to get this chest. I'll still challenge it even if there is the direct sign. <laughs> <laughs> like I did that in Dread, in Metroid Dread, there was a power up. I knew I didn't have the the power up already. Hmm. And it's like, I'm pretty sure I can break, I can uh, bomb jump my way to this item. And yeah. I did. And I was blocked by the game. <laughs> See, unlike, the Metroids, unlike the Metroids of old, it wasn't like, oh, you've got this new item now. It's yeah. like, you don't know what this is. <laughs> but, See, that, that's a, such a shame from a developer side of things, right? Because to program like that text in there, they must know that you got there for your own ingenuity and then just <laughs> to reward it at all. Right? I got a little question mark on the satisfying feeling. Yeah, on my file screen, the next time I booted it up, there was like, here's how many missiles you've got. Also, you've got one out of one question marks. I'm like, <laughs> you've got you've got something. I, got, I won't tell you what it is, but you got something. <laughs> oh man, because <laughs> like I think the best parts about sequence breaks uh, is that occasionally because the developers like they didn't that it's not like the intended pathway, but they realize that like some people will get here earlier, so they put a little bit of an Easter egg for the people that do find it. Uh, I think like acknowledging that they the players did something cool uh, in that like they abused the game to get to that area is like yeah sick <laughs> you're a cool gamer you know because <laughs> everyone has a little bit of praise sometimes you know are you the baddest dude you are the baddest dude you got up here <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome man uh, so shall we move on to a, a regularly scheduled segment then. Yes, our one long-standing segment, Counterintelligence, where right. one of us gives the other a topic and some limits on it, and they have to come up with his, with the requisite number of items before hitting a taboo. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, a, it's, it's essentially like the game Taboo, but completely not. It's very simple, <laughs> a game called uh, 10 Things That Aren't Jackie Chan, which is not a real game. <laughs> so, Dad, I have a challenge for you today. Right. Oh boy. It's a little bit of a, a big brainer. Uh, but can you name me five sources that are not used as table sources? Now, when you say table source. So table sources are condiments that are set on the table that someone is intended to like add as much or as little as they want. Right. So, for example, tomato sauce is considered a table, table sauce. It's a very as-needed sort of condiment that you apply to the food after the fact. Mm -hmm. 
So things like hollandaise. That's a bit scary because hollandaise can be used as a table. Oh, okay. So can you name me five that like are not at all? <laughs> oh, okay. Bechamel. Correct. Not a table sauce. Bolognese. Yep. Although some people use it as such. <laughs> Wait, really? Because some people just like serve the pasta, right? And the sauce is like in a pot side and you add as much sauce as you want. Right? But sure, we're going to, we're going to include bolognese. Oh, fair enough, I guess. Um, Five sources that are equivocally not table sources. Ooh. Yeah, or like mostly not table sources, I guess. That do not have a common use as a table source for a meal of some kind. <laughs> um, hmm. Tricky. Like all the ones that come to mind, I'm like, that's not really a table source, but then like a lot of them fall in the same category as like, Hollandaise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Like, what are you like, thinking? What are you, what are you floating around? Like in my brain, I've got like Bernays, which is essentially just a different type of Hollandaise. With <laughs> on in it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I guess uh, it's, it's kind of the same, but kind of different. I'm allowed that one uh, because like occasionally in French steak preparation, it's used as a table source. Uh, mm. and <laughs> Um, cause like a lot of steak sauces come to mind, but obviously they're like steak sauces. So like red wine, jus, and it's like, no, that's, that is a table that sauce. Is a table sauce. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Can you think of any sauces that are used in cooking, but not to be added after the meal? In cooking, but not added. Yeah. Fish sauce. Correct. Raw oyster fish sauce, sauce? Is not typically used. Yes, oyster sauce is not typically added. That's four. Exo sauce. And yeah, exo sauce made out of like scallops and other dried seafoods. Uh, yeah. That's a win. That's a strong fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, when oh. I think about this topic, like every sauce that I could possibly think of, I personally use as a table sauce. I'm like... <laughs> dip raw fish sauce i do in fact use like soy sauce on the reg uh, i mean soy sauce is definitely a table sauce yeah for sure uh, i'm thinking like tomato barbecue sauce like chili sauces like i'm thinking like salsa which isn't even a sauce most of the time <laughs> <laughs> right Mystery and then like sauce other sandwich stuff like mayonnaise or whatever is now commonly used for like chips, like aioli and whatnot. Oh, I love aioli and chips. Yeah. <laughs> and so like even other stuff like mustards, right? You can't do. <laughs> so there's <laughs> lot of like, all right, what I cook with. I don't know. Oh dear. Well, mine yeah. was also sauce based. Oh yeah. Okay. What's the sauce? So I've got, I want you to name for me five sauces that you can use on pizza that aren't tomato sauce. Like, aren't you plain, like, red yeah. or tomato sauce? Okay. Like, are we talking, like, traditional Italian pizza or are we talking about pizza in general? 
We're talking pizza in general because a lot of a lot of the ones I'm thinking of, you wouldn't necessarily be putting on traditional Italian like, you pizza. Know, so I've got barbecue sauce bases, like from my boy growing up. Like, love me some barbecue chicken. Right. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, I love the mayonnaise swirls on those barbecue chickens from like the big chain ones. <laughs> those are actually really good. I like, really I like found mayonnaise that recently. Yeah, and it's like, like economiyaki well. but on pizza, right? <laughs> Such a yeah. Right. Otherwise, I have seen like bechamel cheese sauce based pizza as part of like a mm-hmm. business, right? And like, it's not on the pizza, but like. The cheese sauce that is in like the crust <laughs> of the pizzas. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. count three as the cheese sauce. I was gonna say because that's not really cheese sauce. They literally, I think they just get like cheese string, like mozzarella sticks, and like whoop, roll yep. the pastry <laughs> over it. So that's not a sauce. It's literally just a stick of cheese. Yep, fair. Uh, <laughs> arguable whether this constitutes a pizza or not. Like, but the garlic butter for those garlic bread pizzas. Yep, I'll take that because there's actually a, I know a pizza place that just does like a garlic sauce base. So oh, nice. I'll take that as like a pairing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the only ones I can think of are like really sort of like fancy stuff that is not common, right? But it's like a reasonable sort of flavor combo. Like those like fig based sweet glazes. Right, yeah. you eat with like walnut and pear and that sort of stuff. I'll take it. Uh, what other ones are you thinking of, Dan? The other main one I was thinking of is like just more dessert ones. So like I've seen dessert ones with Nutella oh, as the Nutella like pizza. base. Yeah, I, I don't also... even consider Nutella a sauce because I eat it out the jar. <laughs> also, like red jam, and I I know red jam isn't a thing, but like. I sort of just call strawberry and raspberry both red jam because they kind of get interchangeable on pizza. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's fair enough, man. I don't think I've ever had a jam pizza. Like what else goes? Uh, um, if you don't have jam, it's usually other sweet stuff. Like very sweet stuff uh, is yeah. very sweet dessert pizza. Yeah, okay. Like bananas and marshmallow and chocolate. <laughs> oh, gnarly. Oh, chocolate sauce. Jeez. Uh, see, something that I've always had issues with, right? Because, like, I've never found a really good one, uh, is chocolate sauce, like, on ice cream. You know, like, the the solidifying, like, magic stuff or whatever? Ice magic. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't get it. Like, why would I not just, like, eat cream and then separately eat some chocolate? <laughs> I used to love ice magic as a kid. It's kind of... It's lost its shine over the years because it's got <laughs> that sort of artificial ending. Yeah, note. it's turned There's... hard and then lost its luster as a source and become like dull and matte. Yeah, and then you have to put it in the microwave to liquefy it so you can put it on your ice cream again. It's like weird, such a weird concept, right? <laughs> um, I could, I could see just like drinking like the chocolate sauce that you would put in like. <laughs> shake or whatever at the same time you in mm. chocolate soup no <laughs> <laughs> all right too close story for next time i reckon all right we should talk about food atrocities in the next episode like horrific <laughs> creations we've made uh oh, nothing looms as tall as the chocolate soup 
<laughs> I think that's still in my gut somewhere. Uh, Probably. Before we broach again into too much information space, uh, this is uh, the Variety is the Spice of Life podcast found at Variety is the Spice of Life podcast at gmail.com. Send us something if you feel like it. Yeah, send us your fruit atrocities for the next episode. We may or may not review them. It's like, are you going to say anything else? Or is that the end? <laughs> no, this is the end. Hard end. <laughs> <laughs>